Well, good morning. It is, it is the season of Pascha, is it not? Now, what we would call Easter, all right, does not occur this weekend, right? It's, it's next weekend. About a year ago, we talked about Pascha, all right, and um, there's some really bad information out there around whether, you know, some people say that Easter is a pagan ceremony, that the Christians just took it, and we talked about it. We went through the evidence, and we talked about how it's really nonsense. Uh, a lot of that ultimately comes from some guy being very anti-Catholic, makes up some stuff, and then... People who don't really care about Protestant Catholic polemics, they start picking that up in the outer world and they start saying, oh, Easter is based on Ishtar and all this kind of stuff. It's nonsense. We talked about that a year ago. If anybody wants materials on that, let me know. I got stuff for you. All right. So we are going to talk about Pascha. Okay. Today, Um, we're going to start in a minute in the Old Testament. Now I have a question for you. When's the Chinese New Year? You may know. February. Somewhere between January 21st and February 20th. It, it changes every year. It's based on the first new moon between those dates. All right. This year, it was January 22nd. Next year, it'll be a different day, likely. They base that on the moon. Uh, why, why does our year start January 1st? Whose fault is that? Romans. Yeah, we got to blame this one on the Romans, right? <laughs> Definitely got to blame it on the Romans. Now, the Roman calendar used to start, as I'm sure you, most of you know, in March. March, April, May, June, July, August, September 7. All right, they ran out of names. October, 8th month. November, November 9th month. December. The 10th month, and then you've got two months later. Well, they moved their, their calendar way before Julius Caesar. They moved the calendar to begin in January, and so that's why our calendar starts in January. When does the Jewish calendar start? You might know? We're in the first month of the Jewish calendar right now. Uh, it started... Today is uh, the 10th day of the first month on the Jewish calendar. Uh, April, actually, I take that back. Yesterday might have been. Regardless, it was about 10 days ago. All right, so we're in the first month. If you would, please, turn to Exodus chapter 12. It's good whenever Easter comes around to think about Easter, or better, Pascha, all right? Because it is a great Christian holiday. It is a great Christian holy day. And we ought to celebrate it. We, ought, we very much ought to celebrate it. Now, as people say that Christmas is also based on pagan stuff, I actually don't know. I haven't looked into that one thoroughly yet. Easter, certainly not. Like I said, if you want evidence, talk to me later. It's really cut and dry on Easter. It's very obvious once you look at it. But today, let's talk about Pascha. All right? So, Pascha, P A S C H A. That is the word for Easter in pretty much every language other than ones that are affected by Germany or England. 
All right, so if you are speaking any Latin-derived language, you're going to be calling it Pascha. If you are in the Greek Orthodox Church, you're going to be calling it Pascha. If you are a Jew, you will probably be calling it Pesach. That's just a slight variation. All right, Easter comes from, from later and is itself not a particularly useful term. So we'll just call it Pascha because that's what everybody else in the world calls it. The institution of Pascha was here in Exodus chapter 12. So let's take a look at that. Exodus 12. Now, from context, I'm sure you remember, just in case you don't, uh, the Jews are still in, in Egypt at this point, but they're about to leave. There have been nine plagues. All right. Previous one was the plague of, of darkness in chapter 10. What is going to come is the 10th plague, the plague against the firstborn. And Pascha is instituted essentially as a part of that because it's that 10th plague that will get the Jews ejected out of Exodus. All right. This is them leaving at this point. And so this Pascha becomes a commemoration of God's creation of the people and deliverance from Exodus. So, chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. All right, so this is the beginning of the year for them. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Not for everybody else necessarily, just for them. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight." All right, so this is, this is the start. Let's talk about some facts here. They're supposed to gather the lamb on the 10th for them to kill the lamb on the 14th. Why just, and I think this is just a practical matter, why should you start looking for the lamb on the 10th? It could be out in a field somewhere. You, you can't just go down to the marketplace and go, I'd like to buy a lamb, please, right? Necessarily, you might be able to. I think it's a practical matter few days before, make sure you go and work out. you got to talk to your neighbors if you, don't, if you can't afford one. You've got to make sure you procure one because it's not just a lamb. It needs to be a male and it needs to be about a year old, right? Now, Jeff? I was going to say it also has to be without blemish. Yeah. Without blemish, yes. You might find a male one-year-old with a lamp and you can't use it, right? Totally. Alright, so it Sort of starts on the 10th, but really 10th is just preparation for this thing. And on the twilight of the 14th, all right, on the twilight of the 14th, you will kill the lamb. Now, also, it's good to remember, when does the day start and end? For them, the day ended at sunset and the next day started. All right. So when they say kill the lamb on the 14th, all right, at twilight, that means as the sun is going down, but not quite yet, right, kill the lamb. And then they're going to eat the lamb, as we'll see, on the 15th. 
if you think about this in the way we look at days, you would think, okay, they would kill the lamb on the 14th, and then they would wait till dinner of the next, like, 24 hours later to eat the lamb. That's not how it works. For them, they would kill it at, I don't know, 5 o'clock, and then they'd have dinner at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, and they would have the lamb. So the 14th and the 15th are on our calendar and reckoning of days. They are the same day. All right, for that first part. And so it's, it's hours between the killing of the lamb and the eating of the meal, not a full day. So, kill the lamb on the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Continuing on in verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night. Right? So that within like a few hours, right? They shall eat uh, they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head with its legs and its inner parts. So they're just roasting the whole thing together at one time. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. All right? So, see the sequence. They kill it at twilight, then they eat it, and then they can't wait till the morning. So, we're, we're talking about a relatively short period of time. Eat, as much, eat what makes sense, right? Eat, eat the meal, eat the, the lamb. If there's anything left of the lamb by morning, it should all be destroyed. There should be none left. All right, it's important to remember, and we'll get to it in a second. All right. So, any questions about that? Now, what day is this? When they're eating this, and they're and they're burning in any leftover. We are at this point on the fifteenth. Now, the name of this month, just as you see there. All right. Well, at least one name of it is Nissan. All right. Not to be confused with the car manufacturer. This is the name of the month. Uh, at least one of the names of the month. You'll, we'll actually see in a reading in a second another name for that same month, which is just in um, Canaanite. This is this is Hebrew. Okay. So we're now the fifteenth, eating it, burning it, if it's not all done. Okay. In in uh, verse eleven, in this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Pascha. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. All right? So the Pascha is the beginning of, well, it's a battle. All right? Saying, when this happens, all right, what's going to happen? I'm going to come, and I'm going to strike the gods of Egypt. And I'm going to strike the people of Egypt. Both. All right? The... You, and during the plague, you might notice right, sometimes there's a back and forth between Moses and the magicians of the Pharaoh. All right, God's God's doing battle with these gods, and He's going to win when this is ultimately over. He will strike them. Verse fourteen: This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast 
to Yahweh throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast, as we still keep it today, whenever we celebrate Easter. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations. It's a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Alright? And so, Pascha begins on the 14th. Alright? With the killing of the lamb. Then you've got the eating of the lamb on the 15th, and including that day, you've got 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st. Right? That's that date there. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is associated with Pascha. Right? This will be also relevant next Lord's Day. Right? If we, plan, if we discuss what I plan to discuss. Right? So you've got Pascha, 14th and the 15th. Then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is seven days. Now, on this particular thing, let's go to verse 21. I want to focus on that real quick. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill what? What do your Bible translations have? What are they killing? All right, KJV has something different, right? Does anybody else have anything other than Passover or Passover lamb? I doubt it. All right, so the KJV says, and you will kill the Pascha. All right, what does it mean to kill a holiday? All right, well, you don't kill a holiday. All right, the Pascha is a reference to the lamb itself. All right, and so whenever you talk about Pascha, all right, what are we talking about? At this point in time, you're talking about two separate things, right? but obviously related things. You're talking about, A, the lamb itself can be called the Pascha. And so he is called, here he is commanded to go, go kill that Pascha, that lamb itself. You could also talk about the time as the Pascha. By the time we get to the New Testament, all right, there will be instances where you could also call the entire sequence of seven and part of a day as all of it as Pascha, because it's all one big, big connected feast. Continuing on, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. This is verse 22. And touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, Yahweh will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You stay in the house. Why? Because God has an angel going 
about and fighting the Egyptians and their gods. Do not get out of the house. You're safe as long as you stay in there. And when you come into that, uh, excuse me, you shall observe this, right, as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that Yahweh will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of Yahweh's Pascha. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the people of Israel went and did so, as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And you get then the the tenth plague, and then ultimately the exodus, because they leave at this point. When Jesus died, better to say, when Jesus gave himself up to die on purpose, right? He chose this day, this event, right? Now, as people in the general Reformed tradition, we put a whole lot of emphasis on the Day of Atonement. Jesus did not die on the Day of Atonement. It was a different day. Jesus chose to die on the Pascha, all right? Why? He's... He's, re- he's freeing the people of God, right? He's defining the people of God. He's taking them out of slavery. This is why he's doing this. And for us to continue to celebrate Pascha, Easter, right, is continuing God's message and continuing this, this thing that they've been supposed to celebrate by the time Jesus is alive. They've been celebrating this thing for over a thousand years, right? And so Jesus reinstitutes the Pascha. It's going to change at that point, necessarily, but that's, we're getting ahead of ourselves at that point. Please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Short reading. Abib is just another name, the Canaanite name for the month of Nisan. So when we read, observe the month of Abib, it's Nisan, and keep the Passover of Yahweh your God. For in the month of Abib, Yahweh your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to Yahweh your God for the flock or the herd at the place that Yahweh will choose to make his name dwell there. There's a little change here, right? Where are you going to sacrifice it? At the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there, all right? In the original Exodus, there was no centralized place for the slaughtering of the lambs, all right? That's not going to happen until later, all right? And ultimately, that place is going to be the temple, all right? We'll see that in a second in Second Chronicles. And at this point, this is sort of this is talking about this this institution. All right, that God's going to choose a place, and this is where it's going to be done. Verse three: You shall eat no leavened bread with it. 
Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day. Evening of the first day? Remember, the day starts in the evening. All right? It shall not remain until the morning. You may not offer the you may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that Yahweh your God is giving you, but at the place that Yahweh your God will choose to make His name dwell in it, there you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening, at sunset, at the time you came out of Egypt, and you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose, and in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to Yahweh your God. You shall do no work on it. Alright? Now, in here, you've got you've got the lamb. All right, you've got the lamb. It's eaten on the first day and burned up before the first day's over, right? Because in the morning of, of the first day, it should all be destroyed. But you've also got seven days of eating after that. What's interesting is you actually don't just have, at this point, eating of just unleavened bread. You are supposed to eat un only unleavened bread for that week, but it's not just unleavened bread. There will be other things. And you can see that in some instances here, but it's best, I think, if we turn to Second Chronicles, because we will certainly see it very clearly there. So if you would turn to Second Chronicles, chapter 30. Now this event that we're about to talk about is probably 700 years or so after what we just read-ish. Because this right here is right around 700 BC when this is happening. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter nine starts with the reign of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was born in roughly 741 BC. He started his reign 40-ish years later. So this would be a little after the conquest of the northern kingdom by Assyria that we've been talking about a lot recently. All right, we'll, we'll see that mentioned here. Right. Now in chapter 30, it's going to talk about the Passover. So let's look at the details. There's some very interesting details in this particular text. Chapter 30. Hezekiah sent to all... Uh, by the way, Chapter 29 is him doing a lot of cleansing of the temple and fixing problems. All right? Hezekiah is a, is a good king. Um, he's trying to bring people back to their God. All right? Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of Yahweh at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, politically speaking, the kingdom has been divided for a while. All right, you've got after Solomon, you've got the split up of the kingdom. Now, the worship was centralized at that point in Jerusalem. All right, David did not build the temple, but Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. That's where the worship of God was supposed to be centralized. Now, if you have a split kingdom where the northern kingdom, all right, which does not include Jerusalem, 
has to send all of its people down to Jerusalem for all their religious activities, you've kind of politically got a problem, right? Because you're basically what you're saying at that point is, as the northern kingdom, yes, yes, Jerusalem is actually the center of things, right? And so you've got in the northern kingdom a lot of idolatry. Let's stop going down to Jerusalem, right? And you even got when you got to the Gospels, right? Where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. She's like, Samaritan woman, are we supposed to, can we sacrifice here or do we go down to Jerusalem? Which one do we have to do? All right. So this stuff lasts a very long time. So here is now, right, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they've been at odds. All right. And the northern kingdom would attack the southern kingdom and try to take it over at various times. At this point, the northern kingdom is in no position to do that. Actually, 20 or so years before this, they had just been leveled by Assyria. They are in a total mess at this point. Many thousands of them have been exiled. They are in a really terrible position. And so here is Hezekiah sending letters to the north to say, we're going to do a Passover. You guys should join us. And Hezekiah is totally right. This is, this is a great thing to do. And so he's, he's, being, he's being godly when he does this. He sends the letters out to them and say, okay, you really should come down here. Now in verse 2, For the king's king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because of the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. Aha! Uh-huh. Passover is not supposed to happen in the second month. Passover is supposed to happen in the first month. But it does give an explanation. And I mean, if they've been sacrificing the Passover in the first month of every year for a very long time, all right, then telling you the date of when it is, it's not all that significant. But if, historically speaking, it's a different date, right, they've got to discuss it, and then they have to rationalize. Why is this? Why do we have to do this? Well, I mean, we've just been setting up the temple. We don't have enough consecrated priests at this point. We're not ready. Let's do it. You know, the leadership convenes and says, let's do it in the second month. All right. As it turns out, spoiler alert, God's okay with it. All right. It's, it's good. Verse 4. And the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan, that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem. For they had not kept it as often as prescribed. They've been bad. Right? Which is one reason why they were conquered. So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes as the king had commanded saying O people of Israel return to Yahweh the God of Abraham Isaac and Israel then he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. So in other words whatever is left of you alright the remnant that's still there that hasn't been killed or taken into captivity right? Turn back to God. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to Yahweh, God of your fathers, so that he made them a desolation, as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to Yahweh and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve Yahweh your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. Right? Because his fierce anger has clearly been on them, right? It's this whole context. For if you return to Yahweh, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. 
There's the promise of return from exile that was in Deuteronomy we've talked about. For Yahweh your God is gracious and merciful and will turn away his his face from you if it will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. So the carriers went from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Not good. However, some men of Asher, of Manasseh, and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of Yahweh. And at that point it becomes clear, right? God is blessing this effort, right? God is wrong month, right spirit. God is blessing this effort, bringing the people of Judah together. And many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very great assembly. They set to work and removed the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for burning incense they took away and threw into the brook of Kidron. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. What do you have, King James? Verse 15 there. Right, they killed the Passover. It's the same thing again. All right, they killed the Passover. There you go. And so they slaughtered the Passover or the Pascha on the fourteenth day of the second month. Right, wrong month, correct day. Okay. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed, so that they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. They took their custom posts according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests threw the blood that they received from the land of, uh, from the hand of the Levites, for there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore, the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to Yahweh. Think about that for a second. What's going on? Where you've got the Exodus, where everybody's killing their lamb, right? And the the assumption is they're killing it at, at their house, right? Now, at this point, we are not killing the lambs all over the land. You are killing your lamb in Jerusalem at the temple, right? Now, who kills the lamb? Depends, actually. If you bring your lamb, it seems to me, according to this, and you are clean, you can kill your own lamb. However, if you are unclean and not able to kill your lamb and you still want to do the Passover, the Levites will kill the lamb for you. So you could actually go and kill your own lamb or not, depending on the situation. Continuing on, for majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover, otherwise than as prescribed. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Yahweh pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, Yahweh, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rule of cleanness. And Yahweh heard Hezekiah and healed the people. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests prayed, excuse me, praised Yahweh day by day, singing with all their might to Yahweh. 
And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in the service of Yahweh. So they ate the food of the festival for seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to Yahweh, the God of their fathers. So one thing that becomes clear at this point, and especially in the next verse, all right, is that you know, the Passover is a lamb. All right? Passover is a lamb. We've already talked about that. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you are supposed to only eat unleavened bread when you eat bread. But there is other food. All right? There is actually other food that is slaughtered as a part of Pascha, as a part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Not on the 14th, right? but for the next seven-day period. Verse 23. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. So they kept it for another seven days with gladness. And so they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. And then they thought, let's keep keep going. So they did it. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep for offerings. And the princes gave the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep. So during the week of unleavened bread, all right, during that festival, you are eating only unleavened bread, but you are sacrificing peace offerings. And what's in these peace offerings? Well, sometimes it's, it's, it's lambs, and sometimes it's bulls, right? And so during that week, you're not just eating lamb. You're actually eating both lambs and bulls. And so, you know, there's a lot of sacrificing, all right, on the, on the 14th, all right? You have a lot of sacrificing in a small area, but it doesn't stop then. It's over and over, because you've got, at this point, as it lists here, 2,000 bulls and 17,000 sheep killed in the period of seven days. Excuse me, 14 days, because they did it for two weeks. All right. That is a lot of blood running from the temple in Jerusalem. And continuing on, 24 in the middle, the priests consecrated themselves in great numbers, the whole assembly of Judah, and the priests and the Levites, and the whole assembly that came out of Israel, and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel, and the sojourners who lived in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of King David, David, king of Israel, there has been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. All right, so you've got here several hundred years later than the original Exodus, and 700 years about before all right, the, the Pascha, in which Christ gave himself. All right? And you've got a description. We've, we've now, you've got at this point something very roughly equivalent all right, to what you're going to ultimately have to expect whenever we talk about the New Testament and Pascha and what goes on there. So you've got this feast that by the time the New Testament comes around has been going on for 1,400 years-ish. All right? Now, when we think about Easter, all right, what we call Easter, when we think about Pascha as a Christian holiday, all right, sometimes people ask a really wrong question. All right? They ask the question, when did Christians, and this is all bound up into the question of, you know, is Easter a, Christian, a pagan holiday that's just dressed up in Christian robes or something? You ask the question, okay, when did Christians start celebrating Pascha? All right? And we've talked about this before. It's kind of a dumb question, all right? Because if you're a Jew, as the early Christians were, all right, and you celebrate you celebrate the Pascha, right? This is the Lord's Supper, all right? You're celebrating the Pascha right before Jesus is crucified, and the next year comes around, what are you going to do? You're going to go, "Well, we can't do any of these Jewish ceremonies anymore." No, you're not going to do that. 
what are you going to do? You're going to celebrate Pascha. All right? And so when did Christians start celebrating Pascha as Christians? The very next year. It would have been very natural for them to do so. And the next year, and the next year, and the next year, and so on. And so there has never been a time where Christians did not celebrate Pascha. Unless you are confused and think that, Christ, that Pascha is ultimately a pagan ceremony. Then you might stop celebrating Easter. I'm telling you, that idea, it's a very Christian holiday. And we ought to celebrate it. What is a valid question is, how did Pascha in Christian churches change over time? That's a good question, right? Because clearly, what we do today is not exactly like the Jews did, right? We don't slaughter a lamb on the 14th of Nisan. We eat a ham, right? That is often the case, right? So we, are, we do things very differently. So what? Right? There's lots of murky history in the first century and second century. So when did things change and all that? Good question. A lot of answers we don't know. Now, if today, let's get our dates right, all right? I think today is um, the 10th of Nisan. The 14th of Nisan is April the 5th. All right. And so April the 5th, which would be Wednesday uh, of this week, is when the Jews would sacrifice their lambs, if they could really hold Passover the way they want to. And then the night of Wednesday would be the day that they would eat their their lambs. Now they're going to be having their their Seder ceremonies this week because it is Passover or Pascha for them. Now, when do, we ser- when do we celebrate Easter? Do we celebrate Easter starting Wednesday of this week? No. Friday. Yeah, Friday. Good Friday, right? When is Easter Day, though? Sunday. Easter Day is Sunday. All right, so uh, there was an early, not a heresy, controversy. Okay, it's called the. Um, Quarto Decuman Controversy. Okay? Quarto Decuman Controversy. What does that mean? Break it up into two pieces. 14th. Where have we seen 14th? Not Valentine's Day. <laughs> Wrong answer, right? The 14th, right? Uh, this is the 14thers. Okay? When should you celebrate Christian Easter? There was a, a, a tradition, which totally makes sense, right? The, the first Christians surely celebrated Pascha on the 14th, right? Because that's when everyone else celebrated Pascha. However, there was a change later on where some churches in the West, many churches in the West, started not celebrating Easter on the same day as the Jews, right? Instead, they started celebrating it on the Sunday, all right, based on the same time reckoning, but on the following Sunday, all right? And so that's why our Easter always follows, follows on a Sunday, all right? The Jewish Pascha, depending on the calendar, it can fall on different days of the week. We constrain it to Sunday. And so you've got in the eastern part of the empire where the Jews were, all right, you've got the Primarily the Quarto Decumans, all right? They continued to celebrate on the 14th. And ultimately, at the Council of Nicaea, all right, they decided, the church got together to talk about Christology, as we all know. But also, one thing they got together is like, okay, 
let's let's get this straight, all right? And let's just agree to do this on the same day. And the Council of Nicaea decided we're not going to go with the quarter decumens. We're actually going to do it based on this other reckoning. So it was after the Council of Nicaea that the church decided to move Easter, all right? To that to a Sunday. So that's why we ultimately all celebrate Easter if you do, as you should. That's why we always do it on a Sunday, which is not according to the Jewish calendar. Yeah. That is not the reason why the Orthodox Easter is different than ours. Correct. They're on the Gregorian calendar, I believe, and we're on the Julian. They're on the Julian calendar. We're on the Gregorian. We are on the Gregorian calendar, yeah. My Orthodox friend won't celebrate Easter for a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. Yeah, their calendar's off. It's like, um, it's, it's funny, right? When you get globalization, like China's calendar's off too, but not really, right? Their celebratory calendar works on a different calendar. Business works on the Gregorian calendar. Business everywhere works on the Gregorian calendar. But Chinese still celebrate their New Year off of the Gregorian calendar, just like the Jews still celebrate Nisan off of the, the Gregorian calendar, just like the Eastern Orthodox who have stuck with the Julian calendar are a week off-ish from us. And so, yeah, their Christmas is off as well. It's, it's, all, it's all related to that. So, yeah. So my encouragement to you is to celebrate Easter. Excuse me. You should celebrate Pascha. Yeah. When did eggs get added into Easter? That would have been much later. Yeah. That's a that's a later edition in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Whenever I say, you know, Easter is not a pagan, you know, not something that Christians took over from paganism. That is clear and obvious. The historical arguments for the other side are ludicrous. However, some things that people do at Easter, just like that some people things that people do at Christmas are not at all Christian. Right Now, I liked, as a kid, opening up, finding eggs, and finding candy in them, really. Not because I was searching for eggs, and not because I thought that rabbits lay eggs, though I probably did at one point, so we're teaching bad biology by this practice. But it was candy, right? So that, eh, take it or leave it. Now, sometimes Christian uh, baptize egg searching by, like, putting scripture verses in eggs and stuff, and, you know, you get resurrection eggs and stuff like that. So, uh, Okay. Maybe it's better. Is that like baptizing someone, but with eggs? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah. So that would be, and there are various things that have come, you know, into to Christmas. If we celebrate Christmas, they would go, no, that's not right, right? So same with Easter. Yeah, eggs, egg searches. Kids don't eat candy. They already have too many cavities anyway. You know, not you. So yeah, so yeah, some some things that creep in are not Christian, but this holiday is absolutely a Christian holiday. If anyone disagrees with that and you find them, then I've got resources for you. It's beat them over the head. Beat them over the head with knowledge. That always works. That's how people change their mind. Yes, beat them over the head with knowledge. All right, so next Lord's Day, continue to think about Easter. I recommend going and reading some of the uh, gospel accounts of the final Passover of Jesus, right? Because, Lord willing, we'll talk about those and do an exercise around those next Lord's Day. So do that in the meantime.
and give thanks for Pascha. And do your best to say Pascha instead of Easter, if you want to. All right, we must be dismissed. So um, let's close. So we have a few minutes to get coffee, fellowship, and, and then head over. I'll pray for us. God, continue to bless us today, we ask. Please, help us in all our singing and praying. Bless us. As we study the scriptures, may we be blessed today. May we be encouraged. Bless us in our fellowship today and bless all those who are not with us. Keep them safe and keep them well. Pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.